0: Before we get started with today's episode, I want to let you know that we have a great coupon code for this episode. Our guest speaker, who is a creator of the Fluent Forever book and app, has generously offered two months of free service with his app. So go to fluent-forever.app and enter the coupon MEDSTUDENT or click on the link in the show notes to receive two free months of Fluent Forever service. All right, and now on with today's episode.
1: Welcome to the Medical Menemis Podcast, your source for memory techniques and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco.
0: Today, we are joined by Gabe Weiner. Gabe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. This is going to be an interesting interview, to say the least. This is a different topic than we're used to covering on this sh- Well, not so much a different topic, but from a different view. So just a brief introduction about you. I reached out to you a few months ago regarding a lot of interest in your book, and Fluent Forever is a book that I've heard of many a times through the sort of memory mnemonics types of groups out there, accelerated learning groups, and have heard great things about it. And I have to agree with them. It was an awesome book. And a lot of the topics that you cover in there are the same types of topics that we cover a lot here, such as using space repetition and language learning. And I don't even remember how many languages you know now, (laughs) Eight-ish. <laughs> Eight-ish. So, so hopefully this has been quite successful. I know you learned a few languages initially before learning these learning techniques, and then you've learned some after. And I feel like there is probably a lot of correlation for medical students and healthcare students when learning materials without using the proper techniques. They can do it. They can push through it. They can get through their classes. But if they knew these techniques beforehand, then it would make it so much more efficient. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. I mean, language learning is just learning. Like, there's a few things that are special about languages, which is like the fact that they have new sounds is like one component that's not going to overlap with medical school. And I think there's going to be a big topic that we'll, I think, going to have to chat about a lot here, which has to do with degree of mastery. But beyond that, because you really need to master language and you don't necessarily need to master every single fact for your step ones. But beyond that, like, it's just learning. Like, our brains work a certain way. You pick up information pretty much the same way, regardless of really who you are, honestly, or what you're learning. Like, it's just your brains have a filter. You need to get through that filter and you need to store things.
0: And I think a good place to start would be maybe just like a one or two minute rundown about what your experiences has been, what got you into using these techniques, how you learned about them, mm. what successes you've seen, and also maybe just a brief touch on your experience with medical education. Sure. Sure.
1: So I got into the language learning and memory fields, I don't know, through a very strange direction. I used to be mechanical engineer, so kind of science-y, problem-solving kind of guy, but also used to be an opera singer. And the opera thing meant I needed to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, and Russian. And like, actually learn them. Not know how to pronounce them, not know a few words, but know how to speak and think in those languages. So I had had some really ineffective experiences from elementary school through the end of high school. I had great teachers, and nonetheless, I didn't know a damn thing at the end of it. I spent seven years with Hebrews, spent five and a half years with Russian, and really couldn't speak them at all. So my first successes with language had to do with me showing up in an immersion program and realizing that that's amazing, and you can start dreaming in German in two weeks, in my experience. And that was not special, like everyone. gets through immersion in a pretty similar way with a pretty similar rate of acquisition. That allowed me to understand that problem substantially better and realize that it was solvable, that I actually could hit fluency in these languages. Um, and then that wasn't really memory techniques. That was understa- Well, it was half of memory techniques in terms of understanding how to store data better. That's one of the problems with language learning is people try to store translations, which is just abstract and uninteresting. It's like trying to store drug names. It's a thing that's really hard to hold on to. So yeah, So I did two immersions for German, one immersion for Italian, signed up for an immersion for French, cheated on the placement test, got myself in a situation where I had three months to learn French before someone would catch me cheating on a test. And that's where I went to the internet and was like, hey, oh my God, spaced repetition exists. Wait, mnemonics exist. Let's combine all that stuff as rapidly as we can because I am going to be so screwed (laughs) if I don't get through this thing and show up to this program and can't speak French. So That's where the first versions of my method came to be. They worked extraordinarily well. I iterated on that for Russian and got to fluency in Russian and found that I could refine that method quite a bit. At that point, I sold the book contract, and then I had two years where my whole job was understanding why this worked and doing the research. So I had problem solved and trial and error my way towards creating a methodology that worked, but I didn't know why. And that was the point where I started delving into the research and trying to figure out, like, why did this work so well, and is there a way to make it better? And that led me towards understanding why spaced repetition works, how to make it better, how to use mnemonics more effectively, and also just how our brains filter information and why they store some things and don't store others. So there was a lot of push into like levels of processing research, which is, I think, probably some of the most important stuff for anyone trying to learn lots of information. So that was kind of the trajectory of the methodology and like my own understanding of human memory. In terms of med school, six years ago, I met a person who was at a post-baccalaureate going towards med school. And at this point, she took some medical leave, but at this point, she's right in between her M2 year and M3 year. She's about to take her step one in about a month and a half. And so I've been... I don't know, deep in, in <laughs> medical school, honestly, with her in sense for a while. And we've talked a lot about memory and what the requirements are in her program. So I've sort of understood that pretty well. I know what she's been experiencing.
0: And I love the story you tell at the beginning of the book and a lot of interviews I've heard in the past about cheating your way into this accelerated language learning class and really needing yeah. to <laughs> kind of just dive deep and get something to work. Right now. And I feel like, as sort of a comparison, a lot of students might find that maybe they're not struggling too much in certain classes, but then when they go and take a comprehensive exam, whether a comprehensive subject exam or practice for the board exam, so uh, practice would be like the National Board of Medical Examiners yeah. practice exams, and then they realize, oh, wow, I don't actually know this as well as I thought I did. I was kind of learning these words here and there in these general associations, but when push comes to shove, I can't recall it as strongly as I thought I could. Yeah. And I know that, especially studying for step one, one of the most stressful times in a student's life, thank God that's going to change pretty soon. I guess that's not going to help your partner at this point. But that point in time where a lot of students kind of hit a roadblock and have to decide which path to take, they might think that using these techniques too late or maybe they were using them initially but not properly, is going to take too much time to really learn and implement. Do you find that it's something that anyone can learn at any time and you don't need to necessarily master every skill? You can sort of start off with baby steps and go from there? Or what would you recommend to a student that feels they need to do this, but they're not sure how?
1: I think go towards the prefabricated solutions. Jump onto Sketchy. Do things where someone else has done the work of trying to figure out A lot of the pieces and we'll just sort of push you through it that's not a perfect solution it's not even a great solution because you just don't have enough time even if you did use one of these prepackaged solutions and also the prepackaged stuff is not necessarily better because it drops the component where you creating a mnemonic you using these techniques actively as opposed to passively is more effective than the other way around so but if you are pressed for time and you're like crap, I'm so screwed, I just I have two months to do this thing and I don't even know how memory works, then jumping onto something like Sketchy I think is probably your best bet.
0: And that's something I've had several discussions about with other past guests is just, yes, you're losing a lot of that memory aspect, that personalization to the mnemonic if you're using a pre-created mnemonic, but a lot of students struggle to make their own or they don't have the time. If you're sure. learning this as maybe a pre-med, then you have time to develop the skill and use it for medical school. But if you're already in medical school and your time is taken already, it's very tight as far as what you can do and learning new skills while you're learning this massive amount of information. That's probably a good time that you can mix and match these pre-created a little bit more, it sounds like.
1: I think so. The thing I've seen has been that medical school is a constant fight with impossible requirements. You have not enough time to learn too much information, and that's it. It's basically the problem you're trying to solve right there is you actually don't have enough time to learn the information set in front of you. And so what do you do about that? And some of the solutions can be skip learning any skills and just jump to someone else who did the skills for you, and it's not as good, but too bad, and let's go. And yeah, (laughs)
0: it's it's challenging. So Maybe we should take a step back here and actually go into a little bit more about the two techniques that you really focus on, and that's the space repetition system and the visual mnemonics. And we're not really focusing on acronyms and those more simple mnemonics, but something more robust, more powerful in the form of a visual mnemonic. How could a student that wants to learn these a little bit better or make sure that they're actually implementing them properly now do that? What are some of the steps or processes that you suggest?
1: So... I guess let's talk about levels of processing and like why mnemonics work, because I think you can understand that viscerally pretty quickly. Like We can talk about it for a few minutes, and then you're like, oh, I get how that works in the brain. And I think understanding how that works in the brain is a really key part of being able to actually use these things effectively. And then we could talk about spaced repetition and what to do about that, because I don't know about... There's some stuff that us talking about, the theory behind it actually will be useful, but you don't need to know every little bit and like how to design these algorithms and stuff like that. So we'll start with levels of processing. The basic idea in terms of why mnemonics work and which mnemonics work better and things like that has to do with the fact that our brains are constantly filtering data. And I'm I'm sure you've covered this in various forms in the podcast, but I imagine it's always going to be a slightly different take on it. But from my stance, basically, everyone's had this experience of walking into a supermarket and staring down the row of, like, let's say, 100 brands of deodorant. And you don't want to memorize all of those names. If it was the case that your brain just stored everything that came into it, it would be debilitating. And so our brains are very good at you staring at those 100 brands of deodorant and finding the one you want and leaving and then dumping all that information immediately. So this idea of pattern recognition, of can I recognize the six letters in the name of the brand that I want amongst all of these letters on the screen. Basically it's a word search when you're in the grocery store. That idea of pattern recognition of spelling, that is the least memorable thing in the four levels of processing. It's called structure. And it's basically you just looking at how things are spelled is not particularly memorable. So if you're trying to memorize a drug name and you've just looked at it and that's that and you don't even know how to say it, like you are just not going to remember that drug name. It's just going to fall away. So, that's level 1. Level 2, is the sound layer. And that's if you start saying these things out loud, if you're listening to this podcast and your brain didn't filter this out, then you would memorize every single word, word for word verbatim of this podcast. And that would be too much. Your brain doesn't want to memorize every single thing that it hears on a given day. That is going to be, again, debilitating. It's too much information. And so when you are going through a book and you're seeing, okay, you know, I'm studying for my step and I see these six drug names and I say them out loud, I say them in my head and I can pronounce them, that is going to be twice as memorable as you trying to memorize this string of letters, and nonetheless is going to be totally forgettable. So that sound layer, that thing is also problematic. So you just repeating these drug names a whole bunch of times in your head, that's not quite going to be very storable. And this is actually where language learning tends to go really, really wrong. That's where people try to memorize translations. And translations are the same thing as just trying to repeat drug names over and over and over again. (laughs) You're just trying to remember a sound, and your brain does not remember sounds very well because it's trying to filter them out actively. You're fighting an active filtering process that is good for you. You want that filtering process, and somehow you want to turn it off just for this drug name, and you don't get to do that. So the third layer, the one that actually starts becoming storable, has to do with concepts, so if I ask you about a whole bunch of objects, we have a bunch of, let's say, four-letter words, we have bear, whatever, doesn't need to be four-letter words, bear, apple, pear, peanut, whatever, and I say, okay, how many letters are in the word peanut and how many letters are in the word pear? And then I distract you for a while, and then we come back, and I say, "Hey, did I ask you about any words, and and ask you about letters in those words? Can you tell me which words those were?" That's going to be testing how much structural information you remembered, and you're going to forget almost all of it. Same set of questions, another randomized set of words. I ask you, "Okay, does pear rhyme with bear? Does apple rhyme with pear?" And I ask you about the sounds of these words. Distract you for a little while, come back, say, "Hey, did I ask you about rhyming anything?" And you're going to find that you remember twice as many of those things. But again not going to remember very much, maybe 20, maybe 25%, about twice as much as the structural stuff. But if I ask you, hey, is bear a type of animal? Is pair a type of instrument? Then you have to engage with what that thing is. And that's the point where we actually remember. That's four times as memorable as the string of letters. It's twice as memorable as the sound. And that's the point where we actually care. And that's the point where our brains let things in. And so that concept, layer. That's the thing where you're trying to get to with mnemonics. The reason why people use images and why imagery is so, so effective is because there's no way to look at, let's say, a picture of a cat and think three letters, or think, that rhymes with bat. Like, that's not the thing you think about. You think, oh, that's a cat. (laughs) You think about the concept immediately. And so the way most mnemonics work, or at least the most effective mnemonics work, is that they connect something that is abstract which is to say something that you're stuck with trying to memorize strings of letters or stuck with trying to memorize sounds, and it pairs it with something that is not abstract, something that is conceptual. And when you make that connection, the conceptual piece is the piece that you can hold on to and jump back to. So if you can say, okay, this antibiotic, the word sounds weird, but it does kind of sound like chapstick. So this is going to be the chapstick antibiotic. And now you can have an image, something that is conceptual, that your brain will allow in, that you can use as a marker for this abstract thing. That tends to be how mnemonics are actually effective. There's one layer that's actually more effective than concept, and that's the thing Like I didn't know about until I started researching for the book, and then I started experimenting with it for language learning, and that is the personal layer. Are you afraid of bears? Are apples your favorite food? that one is 50 to 100% more memorable than the concept layer. And so if you can make mnemonics that are in some sense connected to you, so it's not just, this is the chapstick antibiotic, but like I really use chapstick all the time. Like that's the antibiotic I would really want. Or you see a drug name and you can think about someone in your family that needed it for some reason. And you can add just some personal layer to that thing. And then you connect it to that image that helps you remember the name. Adding in that personal Touch, that's not just a little bit of gain. It's often twice as effective. And so, you having a sense of how these things work and being like, oh my God, I'm looking at another antibiotic name and I'm trying to just say it in my head a whole bunch of times instead of pairing it with something that's conceptual, you can know that you're basically wasting time unless you do that. And I think having that understanding is really key. And if you could start building a habit of trying to personalize these things and trying to connect everything you learn to someone in your life or some memory that you have. That is going to increase your effectiveness quite a bit. And it doesn't cost a lot in terms of time. You just have to understand it ahead of time and then be like, okay, I guess I'm going to do this thing. So that's levels of processing. Should we pause there and chat for a
0: Yeah, I have so much to say on that if I can remember it with going on three hours of sleep right now. <laughs> I think that the personal layer is the most important and most overlooked part by people that are just yep. starting out these techniques. And it's something yep. that has been mentioned by Anthony Mativier when he was on and mm. Jonathan Levy when he was on and all the memory champions that have been on, the mnemonics instructors that have been on always point out that when students are first trying out these techniques, they usually forget about the personal aspects. So they spend a lot of time, a lot of cognitive effort creating these visuals and then they're not that memorable. And those two aspects are a huge hindrance and what make most people stop and what made me stop when I initially learned these a few years before med school, tried them out for a couple weeks, didn't know what I was doing and then just dropped it. Never tried them again until like almost finished. And that was because the time that it took to create the mnemonics and then the ability to actually remember them afterwards, it was just lacking. There was no instruction that I was aware of to really make these useful and personal and make sure that they're going to benefit your studies. You're not just throwing your time away.
1: The skill of creating visual mnemonics is something that is in some sense magnetic. There's a feeling of like, Oh, I got a thing and I learned a thing and you like first day feels really good. And by like day seven, you feel like you're starting to get better at it and it becomes this activity that you do. But, it can draw your attention away from like, wait, actually, I'm trying to like learn some stuff. <laughs> like, I'm not just trying to create pictures that connect to words. I'm trying to actually learn things and grounding yourself in that and being like, no, this is about something that I'm going to use in my life or something that could affect someone that I care about or something that I want to do in my life. It's easy to get distracted from that particular chunk and that chunk is really important.
0: And it might be important to make this distinction between how familiar a student is with a particular topic and the need for different strengths of memory techniques and mnemonics, for Mm -hmm. instance, if you have most of the material down, you're just kind of forgetting an order or something like that, maybe you can use something simple like an acronym and that's going to be sufficient for you. Plenty of students use them and they like them at least for the next exam and then generally forget them after the (laughs) next exam. But that's just that little bump on the road they had to get over. But the less familiar you are with a subject or the more complicated it is, the larger a particular set of diagnostic criteria or tables that you need to remember, or at least you would benefit a lot from memorizing, are the higher that bar is and the more you're going to need. So maybe if level one is using a simple acronym, level two would be using someone else's pre-created visual mnemonic. And then level three and maybe four as well, depending on the strength of your own personal mnemonic would be like creating your own and then creating one that's really, really personal to you that you've attached to something important and emotional and memorable in your own life. Yeah,
1: that's a good ranking of those four things. Yeah.
0: Because I know that's something that a lot of students bring up is just the amount of time and am I going to benefit from it? And I think putting it into context and realizing that you don't need to necessarily make the most elaborate visual mnemonic for every topic, that would just be a time constraint that we don't have. So being able to assess your familiarity, assess where you're at, and how important this material is to you is going to be very important in sort of triaging the material and what you need to do to remember it. Which is the whole task here. Yeah. So then maybe we should go into the next aspect of it, which is space repetition, which we can also utilize our mnemonics in this system as well.
1: Yeah, this has been the one that's been the most challenging for me when it comes to applying to medical school. It makes all the sense in the world for language, and I struggle in terms of figuring out where is the right role for spaced repetition in this particular arena in medicine. From a language standpoint, your job is mastery. You can't show up in a conversation and only know half of the words that just doesn't work. You can't read a book with only half of the words. You can't even read a book with 80% of the words. 80% of the words is actually something you can easily obtain. It's just the first top thousand words in language, and that is inadequate. You will be like, okay, I understand all the connecting words here. I understand the something and something, something to the something. And you're like, well, great. I know nothing about this sentence, except that I know 80% of the words. Great. So you need 90, 95% comprehension in a language in order to feel comfortable. In medical school, you're trying to aim for like, what, a 55% retention rate on your step when it's like multiple choice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, something Um, like that, I'm sure.
1: Right. So you're trying to get like barely, like in terms of the information that you know, like someone who knows nothing is going to get 25% and you're trying to get like a little bit better than that. That is not mastery. That is not 95% retention rate. And these spaced repetition techniques in terms of really doing them, like really, I'm going to take every little piece of information. Every little piece, which is to say, like if I'm going to learn a new drug name and I'm going to connect it to a personalized mnemonic, then I may ask myself, okay, so what is this drug used for? Cool. What is the name of this drug? Cool. This is a mnemonic. What is the mnemonic for? Cool. Okay, how do I connect what this is used for with the mnemonic? Okay, cool. You're making like four, five, six flashcards for just that one fact. And then you go to the next fact and you make, you know, six, seven, eight, nine flashcards. With language learning, that's your goal. Your goal is take everything that you're trying to learn, separate it into its tiniest subcomponents, and then test those separately so that you can master each of the subcomponents perfectly. So that everything all together meshes and you get this network where every word is connected to every other word and you build the language in your head super cool, works great for language learning. You don't have time for that at medical school. No one has time for that medical school. I don't care if you're pre-med and you're like, okay, I have two years and then I'm going to take two years off and study. Like, I don't think anyone has the time for that information set. And so then what do you do? Like, <laughs> I was thinking about this this morning a little bit of being like, well, how would I really, if I was like coming into this and I was in pre-med and I knew I was going to med school and I really just wanted to get this technique down. And I think what I might do is, you learn how to use mnemonics really well. You learn how to personalize them. You learn how to see if you can use some of the prefab tools also and augment your own stuff so that anytime you're stuck and you can't quite come up with your own, you could just jump onto Sketchy and find another one or jump onto another platform. Level two is maybe you figure out one hook that connects you to a lot of pieces of information. So this is one thing that shows up in language learning. And I wonder if there might be a good application here for medical school as well, which is, One of the things that you can use in language learning are tutors, for instance, and you can have an hour long conversation with someone. And the typical thing that happens in that hour long conversation is that you forget almost all of it. You didn't really get a lot of benefit from that. You got some chance to practice, but you're not going to remember more than like two, three things from that conversation. But the way that you can remember more of that conversation is that you make the conversation about building hooks into that conversation, which is to say, language learning, it's very practical. You just say, I have these 10 words to learn. Can you help me make customized sentences for each of these 10 words? And then you take those custom sentences that the person says about your dog, about your life, about your computer, and then you put them in your spaced repetition system and you learn a few words from each sentence. And the effect of that is, A, you just got a whole bunch of Stuff that's at that level four is at the most personal level because it's actually about your life. So cool. It's extra memorable compared to random sentences. But the other thing it does is that every time you see one of these flashcards in your spaced repetition system, it reminds you about the rest of that conversation. It reminds you about the day you were having. It reminds you about the expression on the face of your tutor when they were coming up with the thing. It reminds you about the set of questions you had about like, hey, why is that happen in the grammar? And so it magnifies the effects of each of those flashcards. The flashcards remind you about a deeper memory. And so if you can use something similar, which is to say, let's say you do use prefab mnemonics. Let's say you're engaged with Sketchy for an afternoon. You say, I'm going to look at this one thing. I'm going to take 20 minutes and just kind of really delve into this thing and watch the video. And then I'm going to take an extra hour and take some notes and be like, hey, I'm going to change this mnemonic a little bit and do all this stuff. And you create a whole system and you really understand this particular thing, this particular topic that you're investigating. And then that information set is something that if I were trying to master it, I would make 400 flashcards, but you don't have time for it. And so instead, pick like 10 things that you think are important. And if it's going to be something like a sketchy or something like a memory palace, then instead of making six flashcards for every single point in your memory palace, like just find like 10 spots, (laughs) even if you have a room of 20 spots. Even if you're looking at a sketchy with 50 different locations, like just find 10 of them. Make sure they're somewhat distributed so it's not all just in one little corner. Put those in a spaced repetition system, and then see if maybe those things can remind you about some other stuff that are not in your spaced repetition system. And maybe that's a way to get a little bit more bang for your buck. That's sort of where I'm starting to land in this in terms of making this efficient.
0: All right. So let's see if we can make some sort of comparisons to some topics discussed in the book, because I found it very interesting that one of the stats you gave earlier was a thousand words equals about 80% comprehension in a language. But at the same time, a number that's often thrown around in language learning is like the 625 most commonly used words. If you can remember those, then you have a fair grasp of a particular language. Those are the most common words. Those are the ones to focus on first. And we don't really seem to have that sort of like a word frequency generator for medical topics when we're studying. We don't know which ones are going to be the most commonly asked about. Obviously, the ones in the clinic that are going to be the most common are going to depend on your demographics and what specialty you go into and numerous other facts. So when studying for a large exam, like the board exam, it's sort of all over the place and you're going to be asked tons of questions about things you're never going to see again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But there is data about what's highest yield. I mean, there's some of that that's available. You can see which systems are available. You can see that cardio ends up being the most common thing in the step one, for instance. Like, There's some information that you do have on that front. True,
0: and even the MBME website kind of breaks everything down as 30% cardio, 20% respiratory, et cetera, et cetera. But even with that, how many topics within each discipline is infinite. And I guess- oh, that's sure. When,
1: no. I mean, each of these topics is infinite. This is always going to be- <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> It's and a I, brutal problem that everyone here is trying to solve. Like that part is clear.
0: I guess that's when a lot of students turn to a highly praised reference, which would be like first aid for the USMLE. It's probably sure. the most common one. And it'll- Break down sort of the 20% 80-20 rule of each of the disciplines that you are most likely to see. But even with that, I mean, still, it's a lot of content. If you see those textbooks, they're hundreds of pages long, and that's just supposed to be your reference guide. And that's basically giving you a bullet point list of everything. That's not actually giving you the comprehension. It's not giving you all of the details you need to know. And even if you had the comprehension before, if you learned it properly the first time, which at least in my case, sometimes it takes me two, three, five repetitions before I understand something to a significant degree or remember it and the next time I come across a question in that topic, then converting all of that material into maybe a space repetition system would be probably still quite burdensome, even yeah. at that like 20% of the 20% almost. It seems like a very difficult challenge for students. And I'm not saying we're going to come up with a solution here, but not. Uh, I, yeah, it's, a, <laughs>
1: it's a not solvable problem. I mean, I think that there are solutions to this problem, but they're not on the student level. They're on the medical school level, which is to say, I wonder about the utility of trying to get people to master something so little that they can only get 50% on a multiple choice test, as opposed to simply deciding this is the information that we really want people to know. So why don't you learn that? <laughs> but as long as that's the structure, as long as the goal is, let's just flood people with information and then hope that they retain any of it and just show any evidence of having retained something, which is this 50% thing. If that's your goal, then a lot of the tools available for really learning and lots of information are not going to quite apply. And I think that you're right that you trying to do spaced repetition for memorizing the entire first aid book. It's just not manageable. Like, that, yes, that's a distillation of some of the information. And nonetheless, that is also too much information to throw into space repetition on its own.
0: And the way we have to tackle space repetition, I would say, is quite different because in language learning, for example, we would have basically, this is correct or this is not correct. You have the mm-hmm. right word or the incorrect word or the right pronunciation or incorrect pronunciation. But with medicine, usually... There's not just a correct or incorrect, there's a multi-step process, any of which could be correct or incorrect, or a level of distinction, such as this is more common with this demographic, but that's not really the right answer if it's this demographic. So it's not even a right or wrong, it's so many levels of just kind of additive statistics almost.
1: Well, I might disagree there, which is to say that I think that's what's happening when you're making your flashcards, for instance complex to the point that there can be multiple parts, like similar deal with language learning. If you stick a whole sentence somewhere, (laughs) you're like, I want to get a ticket. How do I say that? There's a thousand ways to say that in every language, like you requesting a ticket, you know, can I have a ticket? Do you have a ticket? I'd love a ticket, please. Like, hey, any tickets still available? Like there's pretty much infinite ways to say that thing. And if you are asking, request a ticket, then that is going to give you a whole bunch of possible answers. But if you're asking what does a ticket look like? Or is this particular tiny example correct or incorrect? If you zoom in enough, you can get back to a yes or no answer. The problem with the medical school challenge is that generally, if you zoom in that closely, then you're going to produce too many flashcards to actually manage. So as long as you're zoomed out, then it's going to be the same issue. Like Language learning is a thing where I will constantly recommend that people do not Do these extra complicated flashcards because exactly what you're saying. There's no clear yes or no when you're talking about something that's zoomed out too far.
0: Okay, that's a great point. I guess that's a great segue into some of the flashcard techniques because there are a few that you mention in your book. Just making a regular, simple association card is one style that a lot of people associate with flashcards. But obviously using images. You recommend using Google Images to associate images to the words you're learning in a language learning, making reversible cards, doing the whole Lightner box for spacing it out. And there are numerous different ways of actually creating a flashcard. And how would you recommend students with the complex material of medical school sort of figure out, should we make this a simple association? Should we make this a concept card? Should we make it a whole chart, a whole table? I have my thoughts on it, but i kind of like to hear what yours are.
1: Oh God, I don't have a good answer for this. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many good answers for mastery and I have so few good answers for you. Just kind of have to maybe know some of it. (laughs) It's just really challenging. I think there's some guidelines I could throw in there. If you're going to use a mnemonic to remember a piece of information, do not put it on the front of a flashcard. That would be one chunk. Unless the thing that you are specifically training is I want to train this mnemonic. <laughs> I want to ask, what is this mnemonic mean? What does it connect to? And if that is the one thing that you are testing right then, then that is the only excuse for sticking the mnemonic on the front of the flashcard. But generally, the things that you should have on the front of flashcards should resemble the test that you are taking, generally. And so What you want to have are things that are actually eliciting data that you're going to want to elicit during a test. So if you see a drug name and in a step one question, you're like, oh, crap, I don't even remember what that is. You're trying to solve that problem. And so you asking something about that drug name that forces you to reach in your memory and be like, okay, what is that thing? That's going to be useful. Now, if you have, let's say you're doing your chapstick antibiotic and you ask a question about chapstick antibiotic, And then you stick the chapstick on the front side of that flashcard, you just ruined everything. (laughs) Because you're not going to see that trigger in your step one exam. You're not going to go to the step one exam and they're not going to put a picture of chapstick on your thing. And so the questions need to resemble the circumstances that you're putting yourself into. And so I've seen this before. I've had students who are just like, oh, my God, mnemonics are so cool. I'm going to stick them everywhere on the fronts, everywhere. And there's just going to be colors and pictures, everything. And colors and pictures and everything are great as long as they're on the back sides of flashcards. So that would be one chunk. I think that's actually a generally useful thing. (laughs) Beyond that, I mean, most of my techniques have to do with getting rid of the temptation to create complex flashcards that have multiple answers and breaking things apart into 10 flashcards instead of one. And I can't stand by that as strongly with medical school. I don't think like super complicated flashcards with 10 different answers and a whole chart and stuff, I don't think they're that useful, but I don't have a lot of better options because I think that the breaking it apart is really, really challenging. So I'm a little stuck. I mean, I can bounce ideas back and forth, but I'm a little stuck there.
0: All right. Actually, that would be a great opportunity to see what you think about this sort of simple division that I've been working on for a while. Sure. And this is more of the style than adding the mnemonic or not adding the mnemonic. I do agree, always keep that on the back. And I feel like you can add that for any of these sort of classifications. But I would say on the simplest aspect, you would have a simple association. So like what nerve innervates this muscle? Perfect. What bone connects to this ligament or vice versa? Great. Sort of a summary association would be what are all of the diseases that cause CHF, uh, congestive heart failure, or basically any charter table. What are all that fit into this category, into this bucket as medical professionals sometimes use? Because sometimes knowing that differential, the different diseases that can all cause the same symptom or the different symptoms that can all lead to the same potential disease can be very useful when answering questions that are similar and you're down to like those last two or three and you're not sure between them.
1: Now, in those questions, do you have to get 100% of them right? What happens if you're missing two?
0: That is an interesting question. So I know when I was reading your book, it had sort of the, you get the basics right, and then you have the bonuses, or if you get one right, the whole thing's right. And as far as rules for it, I am not 100% set on either one. Sometimes if it's a really long list, or there's a couple on the list that are just very rare, then maybe a 70 or 80% is fine. If it's something that you need to know every one of them for, you should know that you need to know every one of them for. So, I guess in that aspect, it's kind of a self assessment. Okay. That's fair.
1: That makes sense. Okay.
0: The third type is more of a conceptual and open ended process. So, maybe why does this process happen or explain the mechanism that this is occurring in? So, whether that be explaining a pharmacological effect on the body or a disease process or something along those lines where there's not really A right or wrong answer per se. It's like language learning, like how to ask for a ticket. There's many different ways to get to that same end goal. Sure. And then sort of the disease summary cards is what I kind of call them. And this is more useful for step two. And it's the multiple answer, the sort of here's the disease, name three symptoms in it, name the labs and imaging that you would need to diagnose it, maybe Mm -hmm. some others that you might see but they're not necessary for diagnosis and how do you treat it so basically what is it how is it diagnosed how is it treated for every disease or give some symptoms and say what is the disease how is it confirmed how is it treated so that kind of disease summary which is very common in any kind of like step two review book Mm -hmm. and the material that's very common for that type of test but that is again that's part that could be broken up into 10, 15, 50 other cards if you were to do each individual factoid. But combining them together, I find, might be very efficient in the aspect that you need to conceptualize all of the different treatments and managements and diagnostic tools together. Or you might easily confuse it with another similar presentation or disease.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense. I think those are all sensible flashcard types. One thing actually that just came to mind was... A study technique that I'm seeing my wife use that I think is potentially effective in this way relating to spaced repetition is that this idea of covering a system, let's say, for instance, covering some chunk of cardio in Sketchy, then taking the test that comes with that Sketchy. That is your first spaced repetition moment. And that test is a bank of step one questions that relate to these particular topics. So they really resemble the thing that you're going to have to do. And then start doing general practice tests, but do practice tests that are system-based. So it's just, I'm going to take practice tests, but the question bank that I'm going to use is only going to be cardio for a little while. And then the idea is make sure that you continuously repeat the questions that you're getting wrong. And then every once in a while, redo the whole question bank so that you have another spacing, another repetition of the stuff that you know. Because one of the things that's interesting on the research side of spaced repetition is that the spacing Like people come and they're like, oh my God, you know, it figures out when exactly I'm going to forget a piece of information. It's so amazing that people can know this information and like people draw the forgetting curve from Ebbinghaus. They're like, oh my God, we know so much about memory. Like the research shows that if you get the spacing, if you change that interval, it doesn't really matter. There's not a lot of difference between a fixed interval of I'm going to test this every five days versus I'm going to test this on day two and then like on a two day interval, then a four day interval then a six day interval. Like those are not very different. The only real data is that the longer the interval is, the better it trains you for a very long-term memory, and also the more you get wrong because you're skipping more. So you can play pretty loose with the intervals, and if you're just kind of testing things every once in a while, and some things are at longer intervals and some things are at shorter, like that's still spaced repetition. So. The idea of using a testing bank as your source of spaced repetition, I like it, (laughs) and I wonder to what extent that can be a large portion of someone's ongoing spaced repetition practice is actually just test banks that are the questions that are in topics that you've already learned. I think you doing test banks on questions that you don't know a damn thing about, you not knowing anything about biochem and then taking a bunch of test questions about biochem, like that's not spaced repetition. But you learning biochem and then making sure that in your rotation of ongoing testing that biochem is included, I think that accomplishes a lot of it and maybe can augment what someone might do in terms of building their own flashcard types. So just a thought to throw in before I forget it.
0: That's interesting. And I could swear that someone's come on before and sort of expressed the opposite, that the longer... The gap, the better for your memory. So I'm confused on that. I guess I'll have to look into that a little bit more. One of the recommendations that I usually give, just because it's simple to remember, is I call it the 11311 rule. And that's do it your first repetition, whether that be recalling it on your own or going over a flashcard, or even sometimes if you're using a QBank already, just adding it to your flashcards. And by manually entering the question and the answer, you're sort of going over your own. Yes. first round by synthesizing it in your own words. Yes, and It doesn't work if you're taking screenshots of everything, but that's <laughs> a different problem. Sure. So the first repetition would be within the first day that you learn the material, so the same day. And then the other one is make sure to do it the next day because that whole forgetting curve does seem to drop up pretty significantly in the first few days. Yep. And then in about three days, and then about a week, and then maybe about a month, and then whatever you want to after that. And you can obviously adjust that to your own personal preference and memory and all of that, but just sort of a way to remember. And I like to have at least three, but prefer five repetitions of material. Unless I'm very familiar, then it can be more towards a three aspect.
1: I think it's a fine interval set. And I think it's a good one for the scale that you're talking about. The intervals, it's not that they completely don't matter. The longer the interval, the longer you store it. So like, generally, you can handle about a two and a half X on whatever interval you've last accomplished. So if you can handle a week, you can probably hold on to that information for about two and a half weeks. And if two and a half weeks is not going to be long enough, doesn't cross the line of I'm actually taking my step by then, then you probably need to repeat it again. With language learning, generally, your goal is I want to have 10-year retention, five-year retention. And so you're aiming for super long intervals. And so yeah, spacing can start to matter because if your spacing is always two days, then A, you're going to have too many damn flashcards. But B, like you're just not going to retain it long enough. But medical school is talking about short-term goals. Generally, you have like two months, three months to study for your step one exam where you really have some dedicated time for that. So is it so important that your intervals be one week versus three weeks versus a month? Like kind of, sort of, but also it is a slight effect. Like this idea of correlation between long intervals versus better retention, it's more longer retention. So, tricky.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to uh, conflict too, because we can also go into spacing versus interleaving, where interleaving would suggest that going from cardiology to pulmonology and to every other different discipline would potentially be more useful. But In such a complex material such as medicine, it would highly be dependent on your familiarity with it and how comfortable you are with that particular set of... So for instance, you're saying go over cardiology cue banks and then add them to your flashcard deck or make a mnemonic of it and that'll be your first repetition. But taking a test on that material right away, acting as a first repetition, is much more about the repetition aspect than the interleaving science, which would suggest mixing them all up, which would probably be better closer to right before the test, not so much early on.
1: Yeah, I mean, you want to take advantage of the testing effect as much as possible. So you asking yourself a question versus you rereading something is going to be much, much, much more effective, a factor of 5x more effective. So as soon as you can know a concept well enough to actually go ahead and take a question about it, and a question ideally that resembles what you're going to do on your board exams, you should. And then you should do that on a regular basis. So, yeah, I mean, I think the rest of that in terms of nuance of, am I going to interleave versus am I going to do one thing and space it out? And then I think that stuff starts getting so nuanced that it no longer becomes relevant when you're talking about something where you're aiming for 50%. You just got to put the time in and do something. And as long as your something is more or less efficient, then you're going to be fine. And if your something is not efficient at all, then you're not going to be fine. So I think the idea of, can I get an extra 5% efficiency on something is not, as relevant as, can I just get the job done?
0: Love it. Can't agree more. Well, Gabe, I think we could probably talk forever. I know, <laughs> about <some of> these. <laughs> that's and a long topic. Yeah. We might have to schedule something again in the future, but I do want to see, as we pull to an end of this discussion here, one question I like to ask everyone is, if you could go back in time and change just one thing, what would it be?
1: Oh, I wouldn't. Not a thing. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think that like there's stuff that's really sucked and there's stuff that's been really good. But like that's, this has been a crazy journey going from start point to where I am right now. I suspect it will continue to be in the future. I wouldn't edit it.
0: That's made you who you are. That's great.
1: I mean, I try. <laughs> I try to be comfortable with that thing. I mean, there's certainly parts that are very, very like uncomfortable. But nonetheless, like I don't think I could edit anything that would be positive for where I am right now.
0: Do you have any other last minute thoughts or resources for the audience?
1: Like in terms of resources for med students trying to do the med school thing, like this podcast that you're doing here, you're talking about really important stuff. And I think having access to that kind of thing is useful. I think for people who want to understand more about what we talked about today in terms of levels of processing, and like why spaced repetition works and stuff like that, I think my book will be handy for that. It will be weird in the sense that it's coming from a different angle. It's really coming from a language learning angle, but it does jump into the abstract of like, why does any of this work? (laughs) Why do we remember things and forget other things? So I think that understanding can be helpful to folks. Obviously, if someone wants to learn like medical Spanish, something like that, then like, yeah, come over to our stuff and understand our stuff. Because I don't think there's more efficient routes out there for learning languages. But when someone's studying for their step one, I don't think they have time to go learn Spanish. So do that later.
0: Yeah, and that's something that's going to be on my list to do hopefully not too long from now. I actually just picked up a Spanish for Dummies. Probably not the best book for everything I need to do. But.
1: Mm-hmm. Again, you aim for 5% or 10% more efficiency, <laughs> not super important. Like Get some time in.
0: <laughs> and where can the audience find out more about you and your book?
1: Just Google Fluent Forever. And that should bring you to our website, to our app, to the book, to everything. I would say the easiest route towards starting out would either be jumping into the book. if It's a really accessible and I think fun book to read. And so that's just go to Amazon, look for Fluent Forever, or jumping into our app, which will cover a lot of the content, but not all of it in video form, and then actually produce a spaced repetition thing that follows all the rubrics in the book without having to do all the work of assembling cards on Anki. Like it does the assemblage for you.
0: Awesome. Well, Gabe, I want to thank you again so much for coming on. This has been (laughs) very informative. I'm sure the audience is going to love it. I've loved the material. And hopefully we can schedule something again in the future. That'd be fun. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For links to connect to us, email us, or for previous episodes, please see the show notes. We'd also love to hear from you. So please send an email or join us on the Medical Nemesis Mastermind Facebook group. Any ideas, tips, tricks, people that you'd like to hear interviewed, we'd love to hear it. Any advice to make the show better and more enjoyable would be greatly appreciated.